This is the Sideline Slice, presented by Valentino's Pizza, the official pizza of the Huskers. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie, and Huskers Radio Network Analyst, Jeremiah Searles. Well, happy New Year, Husker Nation, and welcome into our very first sideline slice of 2023, presented by Valentino's Pizza. I'm Jessica Cootie, joined by Jeremiah Searles. Well, how's it going, Searles? It's good. You know, we had a really good Christmas um, over here at our house. My parents came to town. My brother was in town. My wife's family, we hosted the whole thing here at my place. I think we had 18 or 19 people over here. I smoked a 10-pound prime rib, and we ate all of it. So I was about to say, I've you probably gained... ate good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am I am very fat and large and in charge right now, but, man, I'm happy. If you have a chance, you should always go to an offensive lineman's house for uh, holidays, right? Oh, just any time, any meal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be holidays. Any meal is a good meal at an offensive lineman's house. And you're now an expert at putting together bikes? Yes, I am an expert at putting together bikes. My son got a bike, which was great. Uh, my daughter got a little play kitchen, you know, so I, I got the whole, uh, you know, how you got to put together. It's like a rite of passage as a dad to have to put together all your kids' stuff the night before um, Christmas. So it was a lot of fun. And that's not even their favorite gifts. They're big ones, right? No. Yeah, the big ones are never the favorite <laughs> gifts. You know, my kids, the number one gift this year was backpacks. Uh, my wife got them backpacks to carry around when we go places. But now it's just from ferrying toys from one room to another, which in reality just means I get to pick up two rooms now instead of one. So, you know, just good gifts all around. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we we haven't talked to you since signing day, and we have new additions to the coaching staff. So um, I guess let's start with signing day because you were on our show a year ago and were a little bit concerned that they did not bring in any offensive linemen. But, hey, they addressed that need, both offensive line and defensive line this year in, in this class that they're bringing in. Yeah, you know, and you heard Coach Rule talk about it, you know, especially on the offensive and defensive lines, it's really hard to just go out and find a stud in the transfer portal or find, like, a guy that can come in and be a day-one starter for you. Those lines of scrimmage are developed from within the program, and you have to start by getting those guys out of high school, and you get them into your program, and you start developing them in the weight room, you start developing them in the meeting room, through practice on the scout team, and then eventually they grow up into being starters. You know, that's what it's been forever and always, and I think that the starting of the transfer portal, everyone thinks they can get the quick fix, which at a lot of positions you can, but at the offensive and defensive lines, it's just not a thing you can do, and you're seeing the teams that are having great success having um, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the TCUs. I mean, Georgia, look at the, the programs that are in the college football final. All of them have offensive linemen that have been there their entire career. Yeah. You know, so that's a big piece. Matt Rule knows about that. Um, no, it's just something that had to be addressed, and I'm really glad that they immediately got to addressing it. Yeah, and, and you and I dove into that a, a couple podcasts ago about how, you know, a lot of times, because programs don't let offensive linemen go, so it's just not, you, you look at the portal, and there might be a ton of wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks and defensive backs, but it's just not one where you can just completely rebuild an offensive line from the portal. And so, you know, we also kind of talked about too like you came in with a group and and that was a group that you were developed together and it's not something you expect these offensive linemen to come in and, and play right away but just the importance of getting you know a good solid group that you move throughout the program together how big is that 
Yeah, it's huge. You know, <clears throat> not just huge for the team, but it's huge for you as an individual. It's huge for you as how you become friends and lifelong friends. I mean, I'm going to Jake Cotton's wedding in Milwaukee, Wisconsin this weekend, who's a guy that we played with in Nebraska, who's been one of my best friends ever since. And it's going to be a giant reunion of a bunch of old linemen. You know, it's going to get a little out of control, but that's okay. You know, but it's one of those things where you come in together as young guys and you start to see how older guys are are working the room. You start to see how the guys in the offensive line room that are playing, the way that they're doing things, if they're doing it the right way, you want to then mimic that, and then you want to add your own flavor to it to make it even better. And that's what made our line room so special my senior year is, you know, we had five starting seniors that had been together through everything and watched the guys in front of us and learned and grew, and it really helped having the same coach for all five years. You know, that's a big piece of it, too. And so just getting some consistency put in these guys' lives, I think, is going to be really important. But, again, that comes in with being consistent of who's around you, too, of your peers, not just who's coaching you. Listen, you've maintained since you've been on our network that, hey, once you play, that's when you'll uh, learn the names and, and learn about their history. But did you do any research on this signing class? Do you have a favorite or a standout that you're excited about the most? You know, I, I don't necessarily have a favorite. Um, you know, I think I think the the in-state kids are probably my favorite. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because there's something about keeping the talent home. Mm -hmm. You know, the, we talk about you know you need to draw a hundred mile circle, or two hundred mile circle, whatever it is, around your university, and no one leaves your backyard. That's just that's you need those kids, and I, I know that there's even some kids that are coming that are walk-ons that probably had opportunities to go other places that want to do this. You know, they want to wear the end. That's what they want. That's what they've wanted since they were little kids. And those guys are so important to your program. You know, I think of guys like Spencer Long. I think of guys like Jake Long. Um, you know, Brandon Chappick, Brett Maher. You know, guys that are incredible athletes, and they were incredible, and they're playing in the NFL, you know, and they were all walk-ons. And so I just love the emphasis on keeping kids in state. I love the ability to keep high-profile kids in-state. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so those are things that were great to see in his short tenure so far, and I think that's something that he's going to really continue to hammer home, and it's going to pay huge dividends for this program. That's been one of the biggest messages, right, that they've said since you know, they started this recruiting process, and, and you know, maybe some other schools have come in and stolen a couple of, of guys, but that's no more, that they're going to they're gonna win the in-state talent. That is a, a huge emphasis, which we've talked a lot about. I I kind of had a feeling because that's what they did at Temple. They kept guys that were around that area. Then when they went to Texas, they, you know, kept guys that was like 80%, over 80% of the roster was from Texas. So I had a feeling that it was going to be important for them to, to lock down this area. But then they're also tapping into those resources that they have on the East Coast and then also in Texas too. So I think overall, you know, again, your back's against the wall. You're coming in. It's a, you're, you're also trying to hire a staff. I, I like the, the group that they brought in. They got some guys from the transfer portal at some positions that I think will be able to help immediately. But I think there's a lot of excitement and you could tell this is a young staff and they're eager to recruit and they're having a lot of fun, it seems like, doing it. Yeah, you know, I, I, that is one thing I think that it, it's not good nor bad. Um, it's just a surprising move by me how young the staff actually really is, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, I think there's something to that. You're even seeing it a little bit in the NFL with the young head coaches, right? The Zach Taylors, the Sean McVeighs. You know, there's something about the connectability, I don't even know that's a real word, of allowing these guys to go into these high schools and to connect with these kids. I mean, you might be talking to an 18-year senior. I'm pretty sure our wide receivers coach is 23 years old, 24 years old. So, you know, he's only five, six years older than these guys. You know, so there is still that relatability factor of, hey, I, I was in your shoes. I know what you're going through. I can help with that, um, which can I think can really help 
in our recruiting at times, you know, so that's something that I'm really excited for the approach that Coach Rule's taking there, um, you know, and you can tell they're hungry. You know, when you got a young guys and the other things, you know, they probably don't have a lot of families. They, they're not married with a bunch of kids. So it's really easy for them to just drop everything, get on the road and go and do whatever it is to, to grind on the recruiting trail because that's, that's what college football is right now. It's bringing top-level talent. It's bringing top-level guys into your program, which then you, it translates over to success. So the harder these guys can grind on the recruiting trail, the bigger the process and the bigger the payout's going to be in the fall. You know, not only have they just been in their shoes, but they also been in their shoes playing for Coach Rule. He's got, I think, eight former players on his staff that played for Coach Rule. Uh, so how big is that, too? Just, hey, these guys understand what, it's, what the expectations are from the top. It just seems like a staff that's a thousand percent on the same page because they've either played for the guy in charge or some of the other, you know, uh, coaches that are on staff or they've worked together before they came here. You know, I think there's another piece of that, Jessica. It's a credibility thing. You know, when you're being recruited, um, and I, I run into this problem with the agency all the time, you know, when you're recruiting players, everyone's going to say the same thing. No coach is going to come recruit you and be like, you know, I'm really just not that trustworthy. You know, I'm really just not going to help develop you that much. You know, everyone's going to say, yes, you can trust me. Yes, I will develop you. I'm going to help you get to the NFL. But it's really a judgment thing at the end of the day to be able to, I believe this guy, do I not believe this guy? But when you have people that have, A, played under him, played for him, coached with him before, and then they have now come with him to this new place, there's kind of an instant credibility that comes with that. Because you have to think, if you played for Coach Rule and he sat in that same recruiting meeting that you're in and he told you the same things, but he didn't live up to those standards, you're not going to come back and coach with him. Right. Right? You're not going to come back and go into business with the guy. Mm -hmm. So there's a credibility piece there of like, no, Coach Rule promised me these things. He promised my family these things. He lived up to these things and probably exceeded in some of these things. And that's why I want to come back with him. You know, so I think that's a great pitch. I love that there's former guys that are with him because it just really helps paint a clear picture to families, to kids, to whoever's involved in these kids' recruiting processes of what Coach Rule is and what his plan is moving forward. Family traditions mean great food. With treasured Italian family recipes passed down for generations, Valentino's has become Nebraska's classic Italian tradition for 65 years. We talked about some of the staff additions uh, last time on the podcast, but we ha did not know an offensive line coach at the time. We now know the offensive line coach, and it's the, the one holdover from last year's coaching staff, Donovan Rayola. And, uh, you know, and it, as much, um, you know, hate and whatever uh, questions that the offensive line got last year, mm -hmm. Coach Rayola had a, a lot of tough, he was dealt a lot of tough cards last season, and it was a, a group that he didn't recruit and came in late. And so I guess overall your your take on uh, uh, keeping on coach Rayola. yeah you know I, I understand um, why there would be certain people that outcry that this was dumb not a good idea I can't believe we kept him you know but you have to take a bigger picture approach to it you know you talk about a guy like coach Rayola who he had his starting left guard in, in Nuri get suspended before the season even begins you lose your center to the NFL draft you lose your starting left tackle to an ACL early in the season. You're shuffling guys around. You're moving dudes around. You lose your head coach three weeks in, who was the tech, he was the offensive coordinator. We can say he would, him and Whipple were calling plays together. So you shift in offenses, you know, and you can, it's really easy to say, well, someone has to fall on the sword, and it's always the offensive line. Always Why the easy Why is that? Play. 
because there's five of us out there, and it's really easy when things aren't going right to be like, yeah, well, you can't do anything with the offensive line. You know, like, it's super easy. So I think that a little bit of he kind of fell into that trap of like, well, it's his fault. You know, but I think the fact that the I heard a lot of reports that players went to bat for him to Trev and that players went to bat for him with Rule when they got hired, you know, that speaks a lot of your trust in your coach and your belief in what he's doing, how he's doing things, how he's developing. I mean, he's shown that he's recruited some good offensive linemen this year. You know, so there's a lot of promise to him. And, you know, to be fair, you got to give a guy more than just a year to try and figure it out, in my opinion. You know, you got to give a guy, you can't just implement your your system and your techniques and everything in one year and expect that uh, an entire offensive line that was pretty much piecemeal together and put together by duct tape to be able to succeed. So, you know, I think this year will be a lot different. You get some pieces back, you get some of your players back, but I'm also excited to see how some of these young guys continue to develop over the last of the spring and into training camp, seeing that some of those depth pieces look like too. Yeah, and you talked about this too, about your time when you were here, you had the same offensive line coach. How hard is that? for an offensive lineman to to have keep changing offensive line coaches it cannot be easy like you you would think that that that's again that's a spot you want some continuity of who's developing you and, and all of the techniques and all of that absolutely yeah you know it's it's not as hard as you think to just switch techniques the the hard part is you don't ever get to develop in that technique you know you kind of become this jack of all trades master of none which in turn really doesn't help you develop as a player at all. It's like, yeah, I have all these different ways that I can set, but I'm not great at any of them. Yeah, I'm, I have a lot of different ways that I can run inside and outside zone and how I drop my foot or where I put my hands or all those things. I've been taught a lot of different things, but I've never got a chance to year after year after year keep doing it, keep doing it to where I've mastered that technique. You know, where it doesn't matter what the defender does, he has to beat me because I'm going to beat him every time with my technique. And when you see guys having to switch coaches and switch schemes and switch different, are we downhill, are we outside zone, are we short setting, are we seven step dropping, all that stuff plays a factor in an offensive line's development. And then you're also talking about position change guys. Hey, Turner, go play guard. Hey, Turner, go play tackle. Hey, like move left, move right. Hickson, you've played center before, right? Like you just had all these moving pieces that it's just hard to allow and, and really think a guy is developing or not developing based off of that. You know, so a little continuity to that offensive line, a little more consistency of where guys are playing, finding them a home early allowing them to stay in that home develop through the spring through the summer into training camp so when they hit the ground running in week one or week zero whatever it is we play next year they've had a ton of reps at that position that five had starting five has had a ton of reps together and they can just keep growing and getting better throughout the year and building the depth too right you and I talked about this going into the season last year in the mm -hmm. fall about you can't just have five guys you got to have right eight to ten so mm -hmm. and I think that was an, a big issue too with, with this group this year is that there just wasn't enough depth in that room. You you had some guys that were solid going into the season, but when guys start going down and you don't have the uh, you know the right personnel to be able to replace, that's a problem too. Yeah, I mean, if you got to have eight to ten guys that are starter ready, you know, and not everyone's going to be able to play to the level of the starter, or else they'd be the starter. But the thing is, you can't have a disastrous giant drop off from starter to backup. You know, it's got to keep getting closer and closer and closer in that gap between starter and backup so that if something were to happen, it's not like everything falls apart at the seams, right? Like, yeah, you expect a slight drop off based off of who the guys are, but you can't have this monster gap. And I felt like that's where we were at last year. You know, when we were always, you and I talked about a concert, like we are one injury away from being in big trouble. And then one injury would happen, we'd be like, yeah, there it is. It's rearing its ugly head right now in front of us. You know, so just continuing to build more and more, to continue to go more and more into the depth and development 
from inside the program, like we talked about, is just going to continue to get better and better depth. Well, I know for a fact the guys that he coached here, a lot of them, um, they love him. They love playing for him. And then the recruits, uh, a few of them that I just talked to, are big fans of his, too. So uh, that had to play a part of it in keeping this group together, um, you know, knowing that that's the guy that, that they want to play for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you you don't want to have guys jumping in the portal and leaving and doing all that, so, you know, if you have your positional coach back, I'm sure that's going to help you retain majority. I know we lost banks to the portal, um, you know, but majority of the guys that were here last year, majority of guys that played a lot of snaps last year, you know, um, are all coming back. So, you know, that's a big piece of the development, a big piece of the congruency and all of that put back together. You know who else is coming back? Anthony Grant, baby. And Number 10. Who else? And who else is coming back? Our other guy, A.J. Allen. Oh, yeah, A.J. Allen. I, dude, he got hurt, and I kind of forgot about him. Yeah, he, he was kinda, our guy. He was our boy. He was our dark horse. And everyone was like, oh, I don't know. And even, even Greg was like, you know, I just think red shirt. And I was like, no, no, Greg. No, 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 no. You, you and I went and to one practice, and we were like, that's a dude. That's that a guy. guy. <laughs> that guy right there, he's going to help us win football games. So, yeah, I mean, getting him back, you get Anthony Grant back. Casey Thompson. Um, Casey Thompson. You, you bring in this guy from Georgia Tech, Sims, I believe is the yep. last name. Jeff Sims, you know, so yep. You're, we're starting to put some pieces together, and then you add some of these recruits. You never know who's going to be able to show up and play early and play often. And you bring back, and, you know, you lose Garrett Nelson, which, oh, that one stings. You know, I was hoping to get him back, but I totally understand his, his want to go and move in the, the NFL direction. You know, but guys like Ty Robinson center back and so there's a lot of pieces that are coming back but there is still more question marks than answers at a lot of positions well, so it, you know the, this spring ball is going to be fascinating I to was, watch you literally took the words out of my mouth I'm like this spring is going to be like so intriguing and it's going to be just how, how are they going to develop how are they going to fit in the system but also like how do they fit with the other guys coming together it's it, it absolutely is going to be fascinating speaking of that like what what's next now if you are coming back and you're about to come back from Christmas break and, and what, what does it look like now if you're a player how do you uh, attack whatever's next to be able to to be able to maybe earn a spot in in spring Oh, it all starts in the weight room. You know, summer, winter, winter conditioning is upon us, my friends, and it is the hardest time. It's the hardest training of the year. You know, you have nothing coming up until spring ball. You've got probably like eight to ten weeks of just absolutely grind fests in the weight room, gaining strength, gaining muscle. Then you're still working on your speed. You're not really conditioning at this point because it's all just about strength gains and muscle mass gains. So, you know, this is a great time to start implementing what your weight room is going to look like. You know, what program are you going to want to run? And I say this all the time. The head coach is obviously – the tone setter for the entire university and the program at times. It's the weight coach that fosters that culture. Yeah. It is the weight coach and the weight staff because they're the ones that are with this team the most. They're the ones that don't have time limits on when they can be on the field with them, when they can't. They are with these kids five to six days a week for 52 weeks out of the year mostly. You know, so these are the guys that foster the culture and really show what it's going to be. So I'm excited to kind of see how they run their program. I'll try and maybe sneak around in there and see what's going on. Um, you know, but I'm really excited to watch these guys grow in a different type of environment than they had in the last regime. You know, to that point, so before I came here when I was at Oklahoma, we were working on a, a documentary on Bob Stoops and his tenure there. And a lot of those players, the year that they, you know, they turned it around pretty quickly and, and won the national title. And they all said that, yes, Bob Stoops is, you know, was a big part of that and he gets a lot of the credit. But 
It should be like 1A and 1B. The strength coach, Jerry Schmidt, who actually was a product of Nebraska, graduated from here, got his strength and conditioning training right here where it all started, right? That he was just as big a key, if not, you know, equally as big of a key as what Bob Stoops did to that turnaround and laying the foundation for winning the national title and then what Oklahoma, what that program is today. Yeah, I'm telling you, you can. it's a program setter. It's a program changer. I still think James Dobson was the best strength coach I ever had at any level, college or NFL. And a lot, I, I attribute a ton of success to because of the way he did things. I attribute a ton of success to him as to why I'm successful in my professional career outside of football. You know, the way that you show up on time, you do things the little right way. You know, there's so much of that. He, he helped me become a man. You know, so those guys are so much more than just football. But all that stuff that he helps teach you on how to develop as a human being and as a man equivalates to wins and equivalates to good habits. All right. Well, how about the Big Ten in the college football playoff? How about Michigan? Were you shocked? Oh, gosh. Lay an egg, Michigan. What are you doing? You know, I felt like they just played TCU's game. They fell right into TCU's game. You know, I think TCU's whole idea was, you know, take this team into deep water. They hadn't been in deep water all year. You know, there was back and forth on Ohio State game, but to go down like they did after the pick six, it felt like they were just got away from their game completely and started playing, trying to play keep up. You know, and I'll give TCU a lot of credit on their fronts. I thought their offense and defensive lines played fantastic. Yeah. You know, you're talking about a, a team that's bullied just about everyone they've played in the Big Ten up front, a team that won the Joe Moore Award, had the Remington Award winner. You know, there, there might be something to say. They might have been, you know, smelling themselves, feeling their oats a little bit. You know, oh, we're Michigan, you're TCU, the Big 12's not physical, we're blah, blah, blah. You know, but it just goes to show you got to show up and you got to do it every single week. And credit to TCU and credit to that team for how they did things. But, you know, I think it was more about Michigan laying an egg, an egg than TCU actually outperforming them. I absolutely agree, and I, I think they probably came in a little too big for their britches, thinking this is going to be a cakewalk to a national championship. They overlooked maybe, hey, bringing your A game in the college football playoff, and TCU came and punched them in the mouth. And then I picked Ohio State. I mean, again, I'm the bowl, uh, or I'm the uh, picks champion two years in a row, and so um, I knew that I had some picks to play with. At the end, nobody could catch me, and so I picked Ohio State. I was so mad. They almost, they almost pulled it out kickers man i can't stand them they're the worst <laughs> you know you do everything right you just the kickers but what a great game you know i think i think that that would just show me how great of a game um all the bowl games so far have been really good you know the only really bad one's been k-state alabama other than that i feel like they've all been down to the wire but you know just to see ohio state show up for the big 10 you know, I'm not, I'm not the first to say I'm not a huge Ohio State fan. But, you know, the last few times they've been in that national stage has been a little bit embarrassing for them. You know, so for them to show up and, and do what they did without Smith and Jigba and, you know, and Harrison getting hurt in that game was the biggest difference maker of all time because, my goodness, is he special. Um, you know, but to, to see that type of game put on by Georgia, you know, I think that the difference between the Michigan team and the Georgia team was the Georgia team was to overcome a little bit more of them not playing their best because they have so much more talent. Right. Um, I slightly worry about TCU this week. I think Georgia is going to come in and they're going to say, listen, we almost got beat. We know we're better than what we played and we still were able to pull it off. Let's tighten things up here versus I worry about TCU's ability to hype themselves up for a second time. Can they play perfect a second time? Can they go out there and hit on all cylinders a second time? You know, I think that this game could be a bit more of a blowout than people think in Georgia's way. Who would have thought when, you know, again, when the college football playoff was instilled that it would be TCU would be the first team from the Big 12 that would be playing for a national title? 
<laughs> right? Everyone assumed probably was Oklahoma, Texas. Or Texas, and, yeah. Uh, or even Oklahoma State, you know? I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't have. But well, I mean, who would have thought that to go to the college football playoff was going to be Kansas State versus TCU right. in a Big 12 title game? I mean, it's just it's crazy how quick some of these programs would be able to get themselves turned around. All right. Well, I, I can't uh, let you get out of here without getting your thoughts. You you played up in Buffalo. Um, how tough was watching Monday Night Football and Demar Hamlin go down? I mean, again, haven't seen anything like that. But being that you, I know you still have guys up there that you mm -hmm. care a lot about. It had to be pretty emotional for you. Yeah, that that was a tough one. Um, you know, I had we actually uh, it was the fantasy football championship in our neighborhood. So I invited everyone over to our house. We were going to watch the game. We ordered pizzas and and the whole bit and see something like that happen it just is such a sobering and scary thought um you know the the images of josh allen and stefan diggs of what they were feeling in that moment having played with both those guys and been emotional moments with both those guys and to see the fear on their eyes and to see the way that they were reacting like you could just tell something was horribly horribly wrong um you know and i i just want to I, I have so much respect for nate bresky and those guys up there on the, the uh, medical team for Buffalo and the way that it was handled, you know, they saved that guy's life, hopefully. You know, I know DeMar Hamlin's still in critical condition, but if they had not acted the way that they did, like, he probably would have passed away on that field. So, you know, hats off to them and the medical responders and the way everyone's handled it. Very excited away that McDermott and Zach were able to get together and say, we ain't playing this game. You know, you talk about the NFL really likes to hit on player safety and player health. Well, the mental health of those men that were out there, there's no way that they could have went back out there and played that game. There's no chance. You know, and people, um, I'll say this, I had a lot of people in my mentions at times being like, come on, they don't cancel games. They're like, they're tough, blah, blah. These kids aren't soldiers. Yeah. You know, these kids, yeah, we're, we're pretty accustomed to, oh, that dude snapped his leg. All right, move it up 10. He's going to be okay. But when you see someone that you spend more time with in your family during the season, you spend more time with these guys in this locker room than you do with your own family, and you see him getting CPR compressions and, and passing away and being brought back to life on the field, we're not made for that. That's not what we do. Yeah, we're gladiators and men in the arena of football, but that's a whole different level. And so I thought everyone involved from ESPN, from the NFL, from the head coaches and the whole bit, have handled this very well from an administrative side. But, man, I, my heart goes out. I've been praying nonstop for, for Tamar Hamlin and his family and just that God can show up in a big way and just continue to work miracles in this young man's life. You know, I, I was going to say, too, it's a violent game, and we say that a lot. And, you know, these, this is these players' dreams. And, and you mentioned, I think, Ryan Clark does a fantastic job mm -hmm. for ESPN, and, and he mentioned this, that, you know, you, you sometimes forget and probably take for granted even as a player that, hey, one hit is could be life-threatening. Yeah, I mean, we say it all the time. You know, everyone asks you, what would you do, what would you do for this game? So oh, I'd die for this game. But you never really think you're going to. You know, you, you know you're going to get injured. The NFL is a 100% injury rate. It's the only job in the world that has 100% injury and can still function. But you never, you never think and you never go into a game or a practice or anything with the mindset of, I might not come home from this. Um, you know, and so it's just a sobering thought, but it is. It's a violent game. There's a reason 0.01% of people can make it to that level. You know, and it just goes to show you how you know, fragile life is and it puts things in perspective for what really matters. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things that the hard thing is that in a way this game has to be played. The NFL has to move on in a sense. And I'm very curious to see how 
this will impact the NFL moving forward. Last thought, though, I think you saw, though, the way that it can bring a football community together and how powerful that community can be. I mean, you saw Bengals fans at the hospital. Uh, Zach Taylor went and visited the hospital. DeMar Hamlin's a charity event or charity GoFundMe. I mean, I, I donated to it, so I got an update to it. And it was, it, they said it was over $6 million has been raised, and it was not even close to that when it started. And so the way that people came through and, and donated to that and, and just the, the way that it brought people together, and you, you never want it to be the case. So that's why people come together. But I, I do think it also showed the, the power of this community, this football community, and how people can come together despite their differences. Absolutely, you know, and it just it goes to show you too that people do as much as the negative warriors and the negative people get thrown onto Twitter and stuff at time. You know, it's really it's more fun to highlight the good stuff. It's more fun to highlight the way that the communities do come together. And you know, the Buffalo community's been known to do that for years, mm -hmm. right? Like the way they donated Andy Dalton's charity when he beat them to so they could go to the playoffs or whatever it is, you know. So it's it was cool for me to see other organizations, other fan bases see that and give back to Buffalo in that way. Um, you know, from all over, from guys like J.J. Watt to guys like the the Daltons even, you know, so just so many people rallied together because I don't think people understand how small of a fraternity the NFL is. You know, I was out of it for six years. I've been out of it since 2019, and I still had multiple, multiple friends on the field for that game, including a client. You know, so there's a lot that goes into how those situations are handled and, and the community that it goes. And it's just one of those things without that community, there's no way you can move on from something like that. Well, appreciate your perspective on that. And again, thoughts and prayers to DeMar Hamlin and the entire Buffalo Bills with them uh, from us all the way here in Lincoln, Nebraska, right? Absolutely. All right. For Jeremiah Searles, I'm Jessica Cootie. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sideline Slice brought to you by Valentino's Pizza. Go big. Valentino's, a slice of home you just can't get anywhere else. What started with a treasured family recipe in Lincoln, Nebraska has become a classic Italian tradition for 65 years.